Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Millennial God Podcast. My name is Pat Samuels, and today I'm here with my friend and fellow follower of Christ, uh, Sam Standridge. Sam, thanks so much for coming on, man. Um, yeah, let's, just dive, let's just dive right into it. Um, today we're going to talk about uh, Old Testament law and uh, sort of the perceptions that Christians have about Old Testament law, um, as well as uh, Sam's, Sam's concepts about it. Um, and so let's just get right into it, man. What is, uh, whenever we talk about Old Testament law, what is it? Uh, does it change? What, did it, what does it come from? Where do you find it? Right. So all of those answers are in scriptures, and I'll just basically dive right into scripture yep. um, to show you what the Bible says about Old Testament law. So in Psalm 103, it says, he made his ways known to Moses. So the Old Testament law or the law of Moses are God's ways or his behavior or character you could say yeah in deuteronomy 4 5 through 6 it describes his law as wisdom and understanding and people can go and read these i'm not going to read every all of all of them but yeah um i'll just mention where i got it from sure. and in deuteronomy 6 20 through 25 it literally asks this question it says when your sons ask you uh, in time to come what is the meaning of the laws and statutes and the rules that the lord our god commanded you what shall you say to your son so it asks this very question, and it basically says we are slaves in Egypt, and God freed us with a mighty hand. So credibility, God freed us from slavery. And then it goes on to say that he gave us these laws for our good always, and that we might be kept alive. Yeah. So it's for our good, and it's to keep us alive. And he also said that it will be our righteousness. Yeah. So if you're careful to do all that is commanded, then it will be our righteousness, and it's for our good and for our survival. Do you think that? Um, so, oh, go ahead. Oh no, you go ahead. Uh, do you think that God's law changes then, based on uh, what you've read in the, I mean, both Old Testament and New Testament? Do you think that uh, His law changes? Do you think that, uh, like, you know, people have misunderstood it to think that it changes? What were your kind of thoughts on that? Right. That would suggest that His character changes, or His ways and behavior changes. Yeah. And that what is good and logical changes, and what is wise and understanding would change. Yeah. None of none of those things would would change. What are your thoughts on? So whenever I was kind of doing some research for this, right, and this is something that I hear um, really often too, just in talking about the Old Testament, is a delineation between three different parts of the law, right? Uh, again, right. it's all man-made. Uh, first being uh, their ceremonial law, which would be something uh, that would be laws that were given for the customs of a nation, meant to distinguish between. Uh, Israelites from other nations, and also they would point to Messiah. So whenever I talk to your sister, for example, about like, you know, Passover uh, and all the feasts and things like that, those were those cer that ceremonial law was intended to point to the Messiah, even whether that's you know before or after or both. Um, the second being moral law, which is uh, laws governing things like morality, sinfulness, uh, things of that nature that would apply throughout time. So. It's not just like for a time period that those things are supposed to apply throughout time. Um, they don't necessarily point to Christ directly, but instead sort of to like the sinful nature of mankind. Uh, and then third, uh, civil law, meaning uh, laws that were given to uh, the Jewish people or, you know, other people in the Bible uh, at a particular place in time to guide uh, that people group. Um, what are your thoughts on sort of that delineation between, you know, because whenever we, we talk more about uh, the New Testament uh, this may pl play a role in people's minds of, well, you know, do all three pieces of that law apply? Do they even exist? What are your thoughts? Well, like you said, those are like 
man-made divisions of the law. Those words are never used in the Bible at all. Yeah. Ceremonial law. I can't even remember what the other two were already. Yeah. Moral law. Moral law. Um, but there is like statutes, yeah. uh, commandments, uh, ordinances. So yeah. there are categories. I don't know if they would be divided up that way. Yeah. Um, from what I understand, there are, is like a moral law, like you shall not kill. Yeah. Which that doesn't stop at the Ten Commandments. Um, love your neighbor as yourself is in Leviticus 19. And then so, there's judicial, there's judicial rulings, which yeah. are like applying those to certain situations. Like yeah. if you see your, your enemy or someone you don't like ox stuck in a ditch, then you would help, help it out. Yeah. Most of us do not have oxes, yeah. but if you saw someone whose car was stuck in a ditch, you'd help them out. Yeah. So those are judicial rulings applying, love your neighbor as yourself to certain situations. But if we were in those situations, we would still do them. Yeah, sure. I guess, uh, yeah, I didn't specify uh, in my research. Moral law, I think, uh, was the same as sort of like the commands. Uh, I can't remember what the if ceremonial law was. The um, shoot, what were the other two words you used? Uh, well, then there's there's symbolic symbolic law. Yeah. So pointing to something, but even yeah. those have practical purposes. Yeah. So they had the seats or tassels that were supposed to represent wrapping yourself in God's commandments, mm -hmm. and it says you are to make those tassels and wear them. Four of them. So you remember not to run after the lust of your flesh and to remember to obey God. Yeah. So it is practical. Even the symbolic laws or even like Passover is remember how they got out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. And we also have been freed from slavery. Yeah. And it's, it's very important. It would be detrimental to forget how we got out of Egypt because then we'll end up back at square one, back yeah. in Egypt. Yeah. So it is very important for every year to remember how we got out of Egypt. So yeah. just because they are symbolic or a witness, uh, that does not mean they aren't practical sure. and for us today. So I guess in I guess what you're getting at is uh, if it's a law in the Old Testament, it applies to us today. Because I, I think that yes, what we see a lot of right now, um, or what what I hear a lot from people is that uh, maybe things like moral the moral law that I mentioned, you know, the Ten Commandments stuff like that uh, would still apply because that is supposed to be, um, you know, that's intended for to exist throughout time. Whereas civil law things that were um, directed at the the period of time where they were, where the Jewish people were at at the time, um, that it wouldn't still apply to today. For example, um, I've heard that you know right argument made a lot of times. Right, and the old and specifically Psalm one nineteen, but also Psalm nineteen. It talks about how his laws are. Let's see, so long ago I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. Mm -hmm. And then in um, Psalm one nineteen. Well, it says the Lord of the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making the wise and simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. Yep. So it suggests that it would they're they're firm and righteous. Yeah, sure. So I want to bring up some weird examples and, and get your take on maybe your interpretation or uh, if you think that we should still be following them. So uh, sure. one is uh, Exodus 21, 29, uh, which says that we should stone an ox that kills people. Uh, second is uh, that we can't wear a garment of both linen and wool. We talked about that one a little bit before. Uh, and then third, you can't eat camel, rabbit, or pig meat. Uh, that's from Leviticus 11. So uh, I think the, the pig meat one is probably uh, the most common one that I hear from people. Like just the other day on one of my... Uh, uh, Instagram post, somebody at like mentioned that they didn't think that, um, the pig meat one still applied. What's, what's your take on that? 
Right. So as far as stoning an ox that kills someone, we do that today. If someone's dog bites someone, it's to be put down. Sure. So that's not like, that's not absurd. It's what, that's the same conclusion that we've come to as far as justice goes. Yeah. Um, As far as mixed fabrics goes, there's debate whether that's mixed fabrics in general or just linen and wool. Mm -hmm. I, I subscribe to the idea that it's just mixed fabrics in general. Yeah. And in my mind, it's symbolic of not being mixed with the world Hmm. or not worshiping God in a mixed up way. Yeah. Um, And I think uh, there are spiritual implications to wearing mixed fabrics, especially if you decide to go down that journey. Like if I see something that's 99% cotton and 1% spandex, then I'm willing to allow in 1% mixture. Yeah. And there's, there's spiritual implications so like it's what? like a, what? it's an object well that I'm willing to let in 1% of worldliness yeah. into my life. Like there's spiritual implications to those uh, object lessons. Yeah. Okay. And then the third one was yeah. the dietary laws. Yeah. All of those are bottom feeders, the garbage cans of the earth, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And they're called an abomination by God. It says no eat in Deuteronomy it says eat no abomination. Yeah. So I, I do not think they're good for our health. Like it's, yeah. it's for our good and our survival always. So sure. I, I, and which uh, is logical, like the land animals, it's only ruminant animals uh, that have multiple stomachs that we can eat. Yeah. So they have a way of dealing with toxins that those other animals do not because yeah. they absorb the toxins. That's their purpose. Yeah. What, uh, you know, I'm going to go to this uh, because we've talked about it before, but uh, the verse where it says rise, kill and eat. Can you talk a little bit? I, I know that, Anytime I ever mention, uh, you know, eating animals or something like that, uh, or dietary laws, somebody's going to bring up uh, rice killing and, uh, right. you know, I think you and I are both in agreement that whenever you read the passage in context as a whole, uh, he's not actually talking about uh, animals. He's actually talking about who the gospel goes to or is meant to go to. Right. Uh, the context before and after is about people. So yeah. situa- the situation before is Cornelius is coming to him. Yep. Problem. Has a vision. Solution. When Cornelius gets to him, he now knows he can go go to him. Yeah. Um, and when he says kill and eat, he does not say kill and eat everything. There's every kind of clean and unclean animal. He could have picked a cow. Uh, and he said, I've never eaten anything unclean or common. Yeah. The thing that God scolds him about is calling things common because that's a man-made law. Yeah. He doesn't, he says, Don't call anything I made clean common. He doesn't scold them, scold him about calling anything unclean. He just scolds him about calling clean things common which is a yeah. man-made law, just like the man-made concept of not associating with Gentiles just yeah. because of their bloodline or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other uh, counter that I've heard is in first Timothy four, one through five to that verse, it says um, something to the effect. It says um, for everything created by God is good and nothing uh, is to be rejected if it is received with Thanksgiving. So I've heard people say, um, that since pigs are created by God, uh, that they can't be rejected. Uh, if it's, well, that would be, that would be going exactly against what God said. God says, yeah. And yeah. God did not accept those as sacrifices either. And sure. sacrifices were always eaten by the way. Yeah. He did not, he did not accept unclean animals, which he called an abomination. Yeah. So yeah, they're good to do their purpose, which is cleaning up the earth. Yeah. Uh, one story I think I, I want to bring up too is, um, as we sort of talk through Old Testament and New Testament law, uh, is when Jesus heals a leper in Matthew 8, because I think 
this story kind of uh, can be an indicator of the relationship between the New and Old Testament, right? So uh, for those, I'll read it real quick for people uh, who aren't familiar. So in Matthew 8, 1 through 4, it says, uh, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, uh, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift uh, that Moses commanded for proof to them. And so if you're reading that, at least the first time that I was reading it, I was like, why on earth would God, or would Jesus say, go show yourself to the priest after he just cleansed the leper? Right. Uh, and so diving into the Old Testament, uh, Leviticus 14, uh, it says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest and the priest shall go out of the camp and the priest shall look. And then after that, it lays out like this, uh, you know, like cleansing process or this process he's supposed to do after somebody who is miraculously cleared of, of leprosy uh, comes and shows themselves to the priest. Uh, and so I can't imagine that there's a whole lot of times when uh, somebody was like cured of leprosy uh, back prior to Jesus walking the earth. Uh, and so it kind of sets the conditions, you know, the, the Old Testament ties into the New Testament that it sets conditions, but it also is Jesus fulfilling the law. Um, and so, you know, one thing I've been talking to or talking about lately, too, is if we look at Jesus as an example, uh, well, one, you know, you can see here that he was fulfilling that Old Testament law. But uh, was he living? How was he living? Was he eating pork? Was he uh, following these Old Testament laws? Um, and yeah, I think that's probably that's one of the indicators that he definitely was following these like old Testament laws that people are trying to right. uh, get away from nowadays. Another good example of Sabbath. I don't know if you want to talk about Sabbath at all. Um, but that's probably another good example of people not understanding what the Sabbath was for. Um, right. And then also, yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead. Good. Go ahead. I was going to say Jesus always taught the law. Yeah. And he what, what were you going to say? Yeah, he lived it out. Right, and he lived, yes, he yeah. obeyed it perfectly, and if he didn't, they would have had a reason to kill him, and they had no, they had nothing bad they could say about him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I also hear the terms New Covenant and Old Covenant a lot. Um, could you explain what those are, because, uh, and how maybe they factor into Old Testament law, because I hear a lot of people use it as sort of a, ju uh, a justification for not following any Old Testament law. They say, well, Old Testament law was given as a, uh, you know, covenant between uh, man and God, but then whenever Christ came, that's a New Testament, and so you don't, you know, we don't have to abide by any of the Old Testament laws that were a part of the Old Covenant. Covenant. Can you kind of go through that a little bit? Right, so in the Bible, there's, I believe, seven covenants, and a new one does not set aside the previous one. Yeah. They're all really saying the same thing. They're all building on each other yep. with like Noah, there's the rainbow because Christ, well, the rainbow is a sign of not flooding the earth because Christ came. Does the rainbow no longer represent uh, God not flooding the earth? We yeah. don't set aside that covenant because Christ came. All covenants are pointing to Christ. Yeah. If, if there was an old, old covenant that was set aside, I would say it's the one that would have been given to Adam and Eve. Yeah. Um, but there's many covenants throughout the Bible. So I don't really understand the idea of old covenant, old covenant new covenant. Person, yeah. I think most right. of the time, whenever people mention that, they're really just referring to anything in the Old Testament versus anything in the New Testament. Um, right. Yeah. Well, the covenant given to Israel is all representative of Jesus. Yeah. So it's like they, they had the blood of the lamb 
that made the angel of death pass over them so that they could come out of Egypt. Yeah. And we have the same situation uh, that allows us to come out of slavery to the flesh. Yeah. Let's talk about um, some other common misconceptions about the Old Testament. Uh, first, let's talk about the Pharisees and religious leaders uh, that, you know, the claim is that they were just obeying God's old commands uh, and sort of an older way. But now that Christ is here, uh, there's a new way that kind of ties into the, the, the new covenant as well. So I'll give you a couple of verses or uh, one, one particular verse uh, that I've seen people use. So first is uh, Romans 7 verses 4 through 8. It says, uh, likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to, uh, to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we uh, may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions uh, aroused by the law were at work and our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which it ha- held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written co- code. What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Uh, yet if it had been for the law, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Uh, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall covet, but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment, producing me all kinds of covetousness. Uh, so can you just kind of talk about that one a little bit? Um, sort of, you know, right. he, he, he's saying there, um, you've died to the law through the body of Christ. Most people will take that and say, well, then the law, you know, the law is gone. The law right. Is gone. That's, that's spelling out in long form, a simple concept that most Christians already understand, yeah. which is anyone who sins deserves deserves death. So the righteous requirement of the law cannot be met because we have already sinned. Yeah. And we, we actually, because of that are enslaved to sin. Yep. So Jesus died so that the righteous requirement of the law. Well, wait, I, um, I think it's also, it, it's getting to the point that, you know, he defined at the time, this guy was defining his life, uh, by the commandments versus defining his life by Christ. Um, and so, you know, he says, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet, but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment producing me all kinds of covetousness. He's not saying like, it's no longer a law to not covet. He's saying that he let right. that law, you know, this sort of well, like, he, go ahead. More specifically, he doesn't look at it from the perspective of the flesh because he is no, no longer enslaved to the flesh. So now he follows the law and the new way of the spirit. So before we were enslaved to the flesh. So all all we could do is selfishness, basically. Yeah. Um, But now we are set free from enslavement to the flesh. And the nature of the spirit is different. It says in, uh, I think it's Galatians. And the desires of the spirit are different or contrary to the desires of the flesh. That's in Galatians 5. Um, So they have different natures. The nature of the spirit is selflessness. So now we obey the law in the way of selflessness. So the, the Pharisees were obeying it in the way of selfishness. So they were wearing tassels, but yeah. they were wearing the one so long that so in order to look more righteous in front of their peers, yeah. or they would give to the poor in order to, so they can boast. Yeah. Um, so Jesus said they only cleaned the outside of the bowl. They, they were not obeying out of love or out of the spirit. Yeah. Um, all right. Number two, another common uh, misconception is the Old Testament law. Uh, was completely abolished. So um, people use Romans 10 forward says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And also Galatians 3, 23, 25 says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then 
the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Uh, what's your take on sort of the Old Testament law being abolished? Right. Um, finishing up uh, on the last point before yeah, sure. we move on to that point. Sure. About the Pharisees. So people assume that the Pharisees, the problem with the Pharisees is that they taught to obey all 613 laws, I believe. Yeah. And that was their problem. Yeah. And therefore, when Jesus and the apostles argue against them, they're essentially arguing against the Old Testament. Yeah. But that, that was not the problem with the Pharisees. Jesus said over and over again that the, Jewish, the Pharisees set aside the law to practice their own traditions and that they did not keep the law. Yeah. So when you assume that they're just practicing the Old Testament way and now there's a new way. Yeah, that's not actually the case. And that, that puts Jesus and the apostles arguing against the Old Testament. You can see how that would create uh, a large web of lies i guess or yeah, uh, yeah. misconceptions misconceptions yeah. i guess the point that you're you're driving at is that uh the pharisees weren't following old testament law given to them by god they were following man-made law right and also jesus called when you start uh applying the what the pharisees were doing to just like god's old way jesus yeah. called the pharisees children of children of the devil yeah. and he also said that when they go out and make proselytes they're making twice twice as much children of hell as they are so to, it gets into dangerous territory to say their problem was that they wanted to obey the law. That was yeah. not their problem. Yeah. That, that puts uh, saying them doing what God told them makes them children of the devil. Yeah. So that, the argument is never uh, against God's old way. They were not doing that. Yeah. They were doing their own man-made created law. And that is what is, that's what right. separates them from uh, what Jesus was living out, which was Old Testament law. Uh, that he right. wrote every single and day the, was fulfilling. Yeah. Right. And the reason that they had to make their own law is because they're trying to obey God's law through the flesh, which is impossible. Yeah. You can't, you can't obey God's law with a selfish motive. Yeah. So they had to make all these other laws to make sure that they kept all of God's laws. And then yeah. it got to the point where the other laws were actually elevated above God's laws. Yeah. Maybe here's another good time to talk about uh, the Sabbath, uh, because can you talk a little bit about what the man-made laws or the the laws that the pharisees were using at the time of uh jesus around the sabbath because i know they were like limiting steps right uh, they were limiting right steps. and limiting how much weight you can carry yeah i know they they attacked the the i think it was a crippled guy for carrying his mat yeah yeah that's um right. yeah so they added just so many laws about what they considered rest which of course made it not restful at all yeah so yeah, which that, obviously beats the point yeah because that's a good example like you know, Jesus was doing things. He was breaking the Pharisee law on the right. Sabbath, but he was not breaking Old Testament law. Right. And if he broke the Old Testament law, uh, breaking the Sabbath was punishable by death yeah. in the Old Testament. So they would have had reason, reason to kill him if he broke it. Yeah. But he did not. Yeah. All right. So going on to uh, the second one, the Old Testament law right. was abolished. Uh, what's your take on that? Right. So you mentioned, which verses uh, did you mention? The Romans 10, 4 says uh, for the for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, excuse me. Uh, and then second Galatians three, 23 to 25, which says uh, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned under uh, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. 
right so some i'm pretty sure some translations say teacher there okay yep so we, just because we are no longer under the teacher doesn't mean we would uh forget the teachings of the teacher sure. or the guardian yeah and it the Roman one, what, what did it say? Read that one more time. I should have it pulled up. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Uh, so people have used right. that saying that, you know, Christ is the end of the, sorry. People have used that saying that since it says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, that Christ has ended the law. That's that's sort of how that's been interpreted. Right. He's, he's ended the punishment of the law. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so doesn't doesn't outright abolish the old testament by any means right the the law shows us what sin is yeah as paul says yeah exactly so and, and paul's always clarifying in romans do we there throw or do we throw out the law because of this faith yeah. by no means we uphold yeah. the law yeah. so he's always clarifying himself in romans but people take certain Just parts of romans out of context sure and he's yeah. really paul's explaining simple concepts that we already understand but he's yeah. just spelling them out and then we take it out or we take it to mean something completely different. Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's go on to another one. Uh, so number three, Old Testament laws like uh, circumcision are nullified in the New Testament because there's, uh, you know, debate uh, or because, again, people will argue that uh, those laws are abolished completely. Um, let me read you. I'll read First uh, Corinthians. Um, shoot, I don't remember what chapter that was. Uh, and then Galatians 5, verses 2 through 4. So 1 Corinthians says, Nevertheless, each person should be should live as a believer in what whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God, God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a, uh, was, was a man already circumcised when he was called? Uh, he should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were uh, in when God, God called them. Uh, and then next is Galatians 5, 2 through 4 says, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Uh, which that right there could probably indicate something. Uh, you're trying to be justified by the law. Uh, uh, sorry, you are trying to be justified by the law, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Uh, sorry. So overall, right. what's your take on uh, laws like circumcision? Uh, being nullified? So one of the keys there is you who are trying to be justified by the law yeah. have fallen away from grace. Yep. I'm not suggesting that you're justified by the law. Yeah. You are justified by Jesus so that you can keep the law because yeah. otherwise we're enslaved to the flesh. Again, uh, and of, then, oh, oh, well, to understand those points, you have to understand the Pharisees' perspective about circumcision, mm -hmm. which they they viewed as they viewed physical circumcision as the entry into God's kingdom, which yeah. is completely misunderstanding it, and it's not a new misunderstanding. It talks about in Jeremiah. Uh, let me pull it up. So it says in Jeremiah, "The days are coming," declares the Lord, "and I'll punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh." Yeah. And then he goes and mention all the uh, different nations where that applies to. He says, Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and all who live in the wilderness and distant places. For all these nations are really uncircumcised. Even the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. Hmm. So it, it's always been a problem where they're only circumcised in the flesh. That's missing the point. Yeah. Um, so it's like a, a wedding ring. 
a wedding ring does not make you married. Yeah. A wedding ring represents the wedding ring of the heart. Yep. So the love and commitment that's in your heart. Yeah. That does not mean you don't get a wedding ring just because you realize it's symbolic. That would actually make you want to get a wedding ring more because you understand yeah. it's, it's value, it's symbolic value. Sure. But the Pharisees were going around saying you had to get the wedding ring to yeah. be married. And that's what made you married. They completely misunderstood the yeah, circumcision right. of the heart. Yeah, which, which it symbolized. And they did not have circumcised hearts. Which would be the desire to obey God. Yeah. It kind of just, just goes back to that uh, point we were making just a second ago where, uh, you know, you need the law because the law is what is how you understand, understand sin, but you don't define, uh, you don't define everything by, you know, the law. You don't like revolve your, your world uh, around the law. You revolve it around Jesus. Uh, the law right. sort of helps you, helps guide you. Uh, All right. Um, and as far as like, that verse talking about putting yourself under obligation. If yeah. you, you let yourself go get a wedding ring, then you'll put yourself under obligation. Yeah. So it's the love and commitment that comes first. Yeah. If, if you didn't know the person at all and you just got a wedding ring, then you put yourself under obligation. Yeah. And that is not the right order. It talks about that in Romans four. Like when was Abraham declared righteous? Was, it, was he declared righteous before he circumcised or after he circumcised? He was declared righteous before. And then he received the circumcision as a sign or seal of the righteousness that he had by faith before he was circumcised. Yeah. So Paul is not saying don't get circumcised. The point is their misunderstanding about circumcision, which is that's what makes you married. Yeah. This is and a that's a, that's a metaphor for how they treated all of the laws. Yeah. That's actually, a theme uh, all throughout Jesus's teachings. Sorry, go on. Yeah, you're good. Uh, I actually had the same discussion about baptism just the other day about uh, infant baptism mm -hmm. inside of the Catholic church, right? Because uh, you know, what is baptism? It's supposed to be, Again, uh, similar to a wedding ring, you know, it's a uh, symbolic gesture of something that has already taken place inside your heart. You have already dedicated uh, your life to Christ. You're already reborn. Uh, the baptism is just that symbol, just like circumcision, just like a wedding ring uh, of that faith that you already have. Um, right. More specifically, baptism is a pledge of clear conscience. It says in First Peter that a baptism is not a cleaning of dirt from the body, but a pledge of clear conscience towards God. Yep. So it has practical value in our escaping from Egypt. Yeah, it is a pledge of clear conscience is uh, basically the last nail in the coffin of the flesh, which is why it's the last step of them coming out of Egypt, passing through the Red Sea. Yeah. All right. Going to uh, number four, the New Testament condemns believers for saying that uh, people should abide by the old uh, law. So in Colossians two sixteen uh, and seventeen it says, therefore. Let no one pass judgment on you uh, in questions or food and drink or in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So people will use this saying um, that because he says this here uh, that uh, we shouldn't necessarily participate in any sort of um, food or drink law. We shouldn't participate in Sabbath. Uh, that kind of but drink law. What's that? What drink law? I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm just not aware of, I guess, except not getting drunk, oh, I, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah. It just, right. Um, yeah. I'm not making so I guess, the argument. I'm just, you know, I'm just telling you. Right. What, yeah. Right. It's the same with baptism. Baptism is not the reality itself. It's simply yeah. a shadow. So because it is a shadow, would you suggest that people do not get baptized? Or would you say, because it's a shadow, it's okay if people don't get baptized? Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that. Right. I guess. <laughs> so that would be the, the same, yeah. same argument. Yeah. So. Uh, people fall in, I guess, like even with baptism, let's say people argue about baptism. They say, well, some people say it has to be in a horse trough. Some people say it has to be in a river. Yeah. 
Yeah. Some people say it's sprinkling water. Some people say it's full submersion. Yeah. Uh, they're missing the point. Yeah. That is not the physical thing is not the reality. So don't say, Oh, because you are not baptized in a, a moving body of water and said yeah. you're baptized in a horse trough. That means you're not really saved. That's yeah. completely missing the point. Yeah. It's not a cleaning of dirt from the body, but a pledge of clear conscience towards God. Yeah. So the reality is a pledge of clear conscience towards God, which is made possible by our Passover lamb. Yeah. No, you definitely have to be baptized in a horse trough, Sam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the right. only option. Yeah. No, right. Yeah. So that, uh, that's what that's making a point at. And I could, I could, it'd be like if people are arguing about your wedding ring has to be gold. Yeah. Otherwise you're not really married. It's missing. Yeah. It's missing the point, but that yeah. doesn't mean you don't get baptized. And that doesn't mean you don't wear a wedding ring just because they're not the realities. Yeah. It means you just don't fo the focus so much on the physical like the Pharisees were doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It gets exactly uh, it gets right back to um, sort of that Pharisee man-made law surrounding something. Uh, and I right. And, a and a misunderstanding of the law. Yeah. And I think we, that's a problem that we see a lot and sort of like the split, splitting of denominations inside of the Christian church. People will say, well, you know, you must do uh, this biblical thing in this fashion. And that's sort of like right. off a denomination. Uh, and in my opinion, that's getting right back to the exact problem that Pharisees were running into at the time. Uh, right. Yeah. One thing I also wanted to bring up and uh, get your take on, uh, because this is a misconception that I, I've been uh, seeing a lot uh, recently, is that um, I've, I've sort of heard and read uh, the argument that, that because of the new covenant, uh, again, you know, um, bring that up, that Christians are not bound by any Old Testament law and again, therefore, are not bound by versus preventing homosexual behavior, right? Right. So in Leviticus 18, uh, 22, it says, do not lie uh, with a man as one lies with a woman that is detestable. And so people have used this concept of new covenant to say, well, none of that Old Testament law matters. And therefore, this like new, uh, new age, new law where, you know, homosexuality is not, um, not counter to God's intent or anything like that. Um, has sort of started to prevail inside of the Christian church. Um, do you have any thoughts on that before? I, I've got a couple of verses that I can bring up. Uh, I just right. want to get your take on, well, on sort of that one. That's a great example of the church sleeping in the bed that they made. How's that, how's that go? Um, so in throwing out the Old Testament law, it totally takes away the foundation. Yeah. So it, it, op it opens up the door for those kind of ideas. Yeah. Of course, homosexuality is mentioned a lot in the new testament as well sure. so i don't know how that would yeah i've got a couple that one specifically would come about i've got a couple of verses and again you know kind of similar to um you know i guess in, in the same lieu as bab or in the same thought as baptism and and you know marriage in general is really meant to represent uh the relationship between christ and the church that's why you know the the relationship between a husband and a wife um, is, is meant to represent that. And, you know, in Matthew 19 verses three through six, it says, Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's, uh, wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall, uh, leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Right. So going back to, mm -hmm. you know, marriage, is designed for one man and one woman. Um, and then next, right. uh, first Corinthians six verses nine through 10 says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor uh, revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, right? So, I mean, it right. definitely it definitely does in the New Testament multiple times. Uh, right, more, a lot affirm- more than that even. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, I just wrote down a couple. Um, but it does affirm, uh, the issue with homosexuality. Um, but again, this is just, I think it's just another example of whenever, just like you said, whenever you threw out the foundation of the old Testament, then the sort of belief that, uh, only what is said in the new Testament starts to apply, even though it it clearly, um, you know, teaches against, uh, homosexuality, but, uh, I think it is a good indicator of what, what we could see um, with other, whenever we throw out that Old Testament law. Uh, right. Yeah. Were, right. There any, were there any other misconceptions you wanted to sort of chat about? Well, uh, touching on that, that last one that you asked, that yeah. Christians, spe- uh, modern believers, speci- uh, specifically think it's wrong to obey the law. Yeah. So they think that you're trampling over grace, that yeah. that means you think Christ's death was for nothing. Yeah. Uh, so in Hebrews 10, 26, it says, if we keep, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, yeah. but only the fearful exhortation of judgment, raging fire will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejects the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished? Who has trampled on the son, trampled the son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that has sanctified them and who has insulted the spirit of grace. So the thing that insults the spirit of grace is to deliberately keep transgressing the law yeah after he has set us free from the flesh yep and uh i think the concept they're getting at is what part did the blood of the lamb play in egypt it got them it got them out of slavery yep um what would be wrong is to think that you can get out of slavery yourself which is what the pharisees were doing so that would also be um what does it say trampling over the blood of the covenant that yeah Yeah. but yeah so it's it's the it's the opposite if we continue on sinning yeah so let me ask you this um do you think that adhering to old testament law is a matter of salvation um yeah i'll I'll get your take on it first i I think asking that question is a matter of salvation because submission is 100% like we would want to do everything we could to please God. Yeah. Uh, And it says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. And it says, if we claim to know God and we do not keep his commands, then we are a liar and the truth is not with, not in us. So knowing God and loving God are both defined by keeping his commands. Um, isn't a matter of, I think the, the word salvation can have many meanings. I think, uh, salvation can apply to the moment that we are set free from the flesh. Yeah. So when we, when they were brought out of Egypt, that's when they were saved. Yeah. Is it a matter of eternal life? I think so. When Jesus was asked, how do I attain eternal life? He yeah. said, keep the commandments. He was asked it by the rich young ruler and he was asked by the yeah. expert in the law. Yep. And both times he answered, keep the commandments. commandments. Yeah. And it says, uh, this is, this is eternal life to know God. And it says, if, if you claim to know God and do not keep his commands and you're a liar. So knowing God is keeping his commandments yeah. Knowing God is eternal life. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I would agree with your original point. Um, this is, a, I, I asked this question because 
Um, I'm positive that I'm going to get, you know, responses or comments or messages uh, about whether or not, you know, obeying something like eating bacon uh, is really a matter of salvation. Um, And I think the way that I would answer it is that kind of, kind of like you did, you know, if we're here to, if truly, if you truly believe in who Christ is, who God is, um, and you truly want to obey, then why would you not obey those laws? Why would you not, uh, you know, revert to, uh, obeying God's law at the end of the day, because, uh, that's what we're here to do. That's what glorifies him. Um, and it's not because again, you know, like we've talked about throughout here, it's not because we're not trying to obey the law just because it's a law, right? We're obeying the law because it's what God knows is best for us. We have made him the king of our lives. And so because of that, he knows what is best for our lives. Uh, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ lived all of these point, all of these these laws while He was here on the earth. And so, why right. would we not want to follow? Again, it's not, you know, it's not counting your steps on the Sabbath. It's adhering to the Sabbath as a rest day for man. Uh, you know, right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's right, for a good. Yeah, well, as far as like the unclean meats. God takes very that very seriously at the end of Isaiah in both chapter 65 and 66, yep. he mentions the people who are smoking his nostrils it, it, among those, he mentioned, mentions a lot of, a lot of bad things, you know, obstinate people who walk in ways are not good pursuing yep. their own imaginations who continue to provoke me to my very face. One yep. of the things that mentioned who eat the flesh of pigs and whose pots hold the broth of impure meat. <laughs> so, and those people, such people are smoking my nostrils, a fire that keeps burning all day. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in the next chapter, it talks about the people who will be slain by the Lord on the day of the Lord. And mm-hmm. one of the sins it mentions, again, is eating unclean meat. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's not a light matter. You can't read the end of Isaiah and, and think that it's uh, just brush it off like it's not serious. Yeah. Uh, what do you think some of the dangers are of, um, I guess, not following Old Testament law or not taking it into consideration? Sort of at a you can probably talk both individual level, uh, but if you could also talk sort of like as a society, whenever we start to reject uh, these Old Testament laws, you know, what do you think the dangers of that are? Well, the, the Mosaic law is essentially how to prosper and how to be efficient. Yeah. So when you reject that, you're, yeah. you're not going to prosper and you're not going to be efficient. Yeah. Uh, and it also says uh, in Hosea, I think it's Hosea. Uh, that my people perish for lack of knowledge. Yep. So <clears throat> I think just because we don't know about them yeah. or don't know we should be keeping them. Um, I guess I don't want to make any uh, assertions about <laughs> about yeah. how, how it will be on Judgment Day, but it's very, very important for us to keep them. Yeah. I think, you know, sort of because what we do at ReChurch is we're trying to um... – help train churches to sort of rethink how we're doing church in America right now. Um, right. And part of that is the role of the Christian church inside of America. And I think that if you read uh, in the old Testament, um, you can see what happens whenever societies at large start to actively reject God's law. I think we've been doing that in America for a really long time. People like to call it a Christian nation. I don't think we live in a Christian nation by any means. I think right. we are, but I, I do think that as a society, we are actively rejecting God's law. Part of this is the Old Testament law that we've talked about today. Right. Um, and, I, and I think we are 
watching the crumbling of an empire right now as we sort of start to see uh, the very beginning of what those results look like whenever an entire society turns its back on God's law and what he has intended for, you know, humanity and a group of people. Um, right. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll wrap it up there, Sam. Uh, I appreciate you coming on today. Uh, thanks so much, man. You yeah. know, I know that both you and your family have uh, really helped me out a lot, uh, sort of in understanding a lot of this and talking through it and um, getting your ideas on it. So I really appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks. God bless. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Millennial God podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a review. Uh, If you ever want to reach out, you can find us anywhere on social media. And you can also send us an email at millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com. That's millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com.